up, everybody? Welcome to the Gods Will Not Save You, The Wire Revisited. I'm Willie Romano Pugh. Hey there, everyone. My name's Yaka. Welcome back. This is a podcast where you know we do a deep read into each and every episode of the hit HBO show, The Wire, the greatest show ever. It's an amazing show. Anyone who talks about this show in a negative light, you got some issues. No. <laughs> Most definitely. We're not bringing any... Um, personal experience into that sentiment at all we just always feel that way and we didn't have any encounters with people (laughs) who infuriated us with their take with their awful takes on the show anyway if you'd like to donate to us please check us out at anchor.fm slash the gods will not save you slash support give us a five stars on itunes and give us a nice review all that good stuff you guys know the deal you guys and gals know the deal let's get into uh this great episode bad dreams and uh yeah let's let's start it off by 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 getting into that action-packed opening i know you loved it uh yeah i mean you know i feel bad for uh nick's parents and so forth they get no knocked by the uh well not the not the head bust in western district because they're in a different part of town but you know you have some elements of the the narco whatever DEU unit, Hurricane Carver, they uh, find a bunch of stuff at Sloppy Nick's uh, place right. of, you know, residence, his downstairs basement. Um, so after after they after Amy found all those bands of money, Nick didn't he just he just left them there. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't even take them, and and like like they never had a conversation like honey do you want to open up a bank account or maybe we could put these in a safe or buy a safe or you know it's like the same exact like little pipe or whatever not and a, drugs not a smooth criminal at all definitely uh inexperienced in that field would have been much better off just trying to continuously get work uh at the dock maybe helping his uncle with his campaign and like actually meeting with the lobbyist instead of doing this dumb shit um, but did you notice with this opening, they pulled kind of like a, a bait and switch a little bit. They did, a, I don't know if you, if you've ever seen, um, uh, the silence of the lambs, cause they make you think that, um, yeah, that Nick is present for the, for the raid. You don't even like necessarily see that it's prissy in the bed with him. Like it, her face is maybe like obstructed or something. The alarm clock radio, uh, turned to 6 a.m. in the morning and like the radio is kind of playing dia- diegetic or non-diegetically it yeah that's right right it's playing non-diegetically like throughout the raid um but it takes a little while for us to realize uh that he's not at home he's out whoring around with prissy um <laughs> and his parent his family has to bear the brunt of his uh, illegality and his uh his laziness <laughs> so it was a yeah. like great little bait and switch there uh, what do you think about the uh the nature of the raid i know they had a warrant specific to nick which we learn about from uh, his dad lou but compared to other scenes maybe last season where they break down someone's door looking for someone you know like the yeah. treatment that the cops show. I mean, no one gets put in handcuffs. Amy, you know, everyone is just, everyone aside from Nick, uh, 
you know, is treated just like they're a witness or, you know, I, I just, I, I can't believe that if it was Bodie or one of the people from Franklin Terrace that if they caught their uh, girlfriend or someone there when they weren't home, that they would have extended maybe some of the courtesies that they display as they sit on the couch and explain everything to them. Right. But maybe this is just the growth of Herc and Carver. What do you think? Well, you know, it's, uh, I think you're, you, and like, also like when they're raiding Savino's house and they just like tell his mom, like, yeah, oh, well, your baby shot a cop just like, being yeah. like really, uh, harsh with it. Um, but I kind of just assume that <laughs> racism plays a big factor in this and they're just like, a lot more uh, scared of the situation when going into the towers um, and dealing with with uh, people who they like automatically assume are hardened criminals, as opposed to like you know raiding Nick's house where he's living in the basement of his parents for like, and his dad is like an old you know IBS stalwart. They're probably thinking like you know there's a discrepancy in the whole family situation here so we're still going to use the battering ram uh and you know we'll we'll toss things around a little bit but uh you know these these parents seem nice we're not going to like throw them on the ground and stuff they probably don't know their kid is in a bad way and it's his uncle who's <laughs> who's doing all the 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 criminal dealings i don't know that's just my thought that, that, that they're probably racist <laughs> there's some inherent yeah. racism Definitely. I mean, okay, Bodie and Savino did, you know, like they were involved in incidents where cops got hurt or shot or punched. But I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, to, I believe that obviously that, that had a, that had a major factor, um, you know, the color of Nick's skin. But it's almost like at the end of the show, they're staking him out. They, uh, they feel like they're just, yeah, they think he's basically a joke. Like he lives in his parents' basement. Like, so, but then again, yeah, well, like Savino, even though he didn't shoot the cop, didn't shoot Kima, it's like, we're going to break down this door every hour until he turns himself in. And then Hurricane Carver just, you know, eating fast food out in the car, waiting politely, you know? They also bust White Mike too, right? They bust White Mike, they bust Eton and Sergey. Yeah, they're, they're making the rounds. Yeah, I mean, White Mike, he, I mean, that was that was not really surprising. I mean, Sergey, you know, that was a pretty comical situation almost. Even though he seems like, you know, a, he's obviously tougher to to get down. Yeah, how strong is he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like he he's got. <laughs> it's like they were taking down a mountain or something. Like, yeah. Know? It's a McNulty and Fitzhugh, right? And like, yeah, you know, so Mc, McNulty seems like he's pretty like agile and you know, it seems like he could handle himself. And the guy mm. who plays Fitzhugh is like a, a a boxer, right? Like, wasn't he a Golden Gloves winner at some one point? Mm. I, I don't remember that, but uh, uh, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, maybe. I, I think but so. I mean, I mean like, it's plausible. It's like you would think that they would be able ah. to like handle a a rough situation like that and sergey just fucking sergey and play i mean we know you know you, you saw that country strength from chris ashworth the, the guy who plays him you know yeah. he's got that 
that backwards Virginia, like mountain man strength or whatever. I'm not sure where he's from, but <laughs> but Dominic West is a small, I don't think he's a like agile, like tough guy. Like he kind of walks like he's uncoordinated in some ways, but you never know. He's full, he's having too much scrapple and Jameson to McNulty. He's full on all that diner food and just whatever Guinness and Jameson. I, I really hope Dominic West never hears this. He hears how you just fucking body shamed him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, nothing wrong with him. I just, I mean, he is an actor at the end of the day. Like, how, how big is he? Like, or because they always, he always, like, the, I mean, you know, he's like, yeah, I don't, I mean. My point is, uh, so. Yeah, he doesn't, <laughs> I don't think he excelled in like cricket back home or something like that, you know. Point is, though, is that they were grossly outmatched in a, it was, it was funny to watch. Doug Olier, right? He's the, uh, he's fits you. Yeah, whatever. Well, we knew like Eton and Sergey, they won't talk. They're hardened European yeah. or, you know, Israeli. Like, for all we know, Eton's like some Mossad or like IDF type dude or something. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, he's not like ex like military. Like, isn't it like compulsory at least over there? In and Israel. as it is in most country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, most countries have that. Like, I've met guys like abroad or just friends who are like, just like you and I. And they're like, yeah, I was training. Like, I would be the guy to train a 20 unit group of us, 20 man unit to go behind like enemy lines and sabotage bridges. And I'm just like, what? what the hell? It's, it's, okay. It's crazy <laughs> how it's like compulsory in some countries and it's like, you know, voluntary, not in times of like, crazy wars out here but we're still considered like the most militaristic country yeah. in the world meanwhile if you like have an office job in uh who know like denmark or south korea your colleague like the dude at the desk in a button-ups like yeah they you know everyone is trained in something more or less they have to it's crazy. So, but yeah i mean Eton, i don't think it was like he seems like a dude that did his time and then was like I like this. And then somehow ended up with Prop Joe in Baltimore. But White Mike, snitching White Mike, Willie. Oh, man, all this time we're like, White Mike, we got some people that have some great White Mike stories. By the way, we're just going to have to turn that into like a bonus episode. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, this after, this, uh, after yeah, this whole the second season, we could do like a supplemental. Yeah, because we have a tough time, thanks to me mostly. Uh, nailing down which day of the week we're going to record or figuring out you know yeah, basic on. stuff sometimes but we're still you know it's a work in progress everyone so we appreciate you uh sticking with it but uh we're definitely not at the point to incorporate a third party into our weekly recording <laughs> well we probably could but it's probably just me i i excel willie at making things more difficult than they need to be anyways but yeah now it's like taking away some of the lore of white mike because i and i forget so much but how like, um, quickly he just yeah. like was willing to throw yeah. everybody under the bus <laughs> he's like oh, i know this i know that they play the recordings of him on talking about poti street because he's just a moron and you yeah. know whatever the great white mike but, yeah, all the all the uh, Americans are so like ready to yeah. <laughs> are ready to just like give it all up uh, in this season. Like, 
you know, later on in this episode, we see Frank. And then, of course, Nick has his whole, like, shift of conscience uh, in the next episode. Um, I mean, but they have, well, like, yeah. all the, like, Greeks and uh, Israelis or whatever seem like they don't really have, like, familial attachments to be, like, worried about or whatever. But, like, Frank and Nick and, I guess, White Mike, you might have, like, mouths to feed and, like... <laughs> uh appearances to uphold so they're like yeah i i i need to atone for my sins a little bit here exactly i mean yeah i mean it's probably just different uh upbringings too so yeah like culturally i don't know yeah i don't know what sergey's experienced out in ukraine but yeah. even though they say russia but i mean um, they're even like more uncooperative than like bodhi or when any of the, the Barksdale crew crew gets uh gets caught up, at least like Weebay is like saying like making jokes with them about the kind of food he's gonna get. <laughs> yeah. I mean, White Mike though, they are they trying to draw some parallel because he wants whereas Weebay's culinary taste is uh, as you would say, mwah <laughs> with his his need yeah, for some kiss. pit sandwiches. White Mike, oh, white trash. White Mike wants two hot dogs and a strawberry soda. <laughs> I guess that's a, uh, you know, no offense to South Baltimore, Curtis Bay, where they say White Mike's from or operating out of, but I don't know what that's about, but it had to be. It's like as we bay, what, what was it? He wanted the coleslaw. Is yeah. that, what, that was like his, he, he wouldn't budge off of that. <laughs> and uh and norris had to it's like what for white mike it's this it's a strawberry soda yeah and they make kima get it she like she's like for real like you and she's she said it has to be strawberry <laughs> it has to be strawberry oh white mike man what a disappointment i mean and he also he also had that like super condescending hook a brother up to yeah uh, like yeah to kia it's like mcnulty make the his black female colleague go get the strawberry soda for the dude who's like coaxing her to hook a brother up yeah he's like trying to like appeal to her in some like stereotypical way and it's just so laughable stupid white mike you're i always wonder though is there another mike like it was there like a black mike or i don't understand I mean, there was Mike Mike who got shot in his hind parts, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> Wait, who shot Mike Mike in it? Uh, is that Omar, Omar. talking about? Yeah, okay. So I always wonder, like, why the white Mike? I guess, you know, whatever. I mean, there's a, <laughs> there's a little Roy and a big Roy later on in this episode. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, St uh, Stan finally gets to uh, enact his yeah. revenge on uh, Frank Sabatka, and they do a whole bust for the cameras uh, with the FBI there, and uh, really like fucking infuriating scene because even though Frank has been doing some shady shit all this time, like Stan Velchek. Uh, Al Brand, uh, Al Brown, right? Um, <laughs> Al Brand. <laughs> he's just been playing a character that we like, like have been loving to hate so well throughout all this season, and to see him like get satisfaction out of this like stupid crusade is uh, it really gets under your skin. I gotta tell you, he uh, is not satisfied with busting Frank at his house. And Glenn Burney and would rather 
wait until he gets to the IBS local or their chapter at HQ to make a huge scene and then has the FBI wait. By the way, the FBI, they don't look at all, please. They're just like, wait, how did, uh, how did, uh, how did we get stuck driving this idiot around? Like yeah. the, the lady and the, the male who's, right. yeah, I mean, they're doing their job, quote unquote, like whatever and that entails like, at this moment. They're, like, they're just yeah. like, wait, they're just waiting for the media to show up. Yeah. So they don't like seem like what they're doing is like totally pointless. But it's also like, were, were FBI, uh, were there any FBI agents involved with the raiding of Nick's house uh, in that earlier scene? maybe or were they at the appliance store like those seemed like far more consequential busts Mm. or raids yeah like to it's kind of ironic that they would show up to frank's work like i mean fitzy was with sergey and mcnulty but but, yeah i don't know i think i feel like they just stuck i don't know what those two got like the guy and the the lady respectively they did something to get a like this is their version of McNulty on the boat like in their FBI detail. Like, uh, you have to you have to drive around this idiot asshole Stan. This, this idiot asshole who like for all the shady stuff that Frank has legitimately been involved in in this season, mm-hmm. Stan is mostly pissed off because he gave a bigger window to the preacher mm-hmm. man, and it hurt his yeah. feeling. Yeah, this is his crusade, you know, and especially because Frank called him out, you know, like yeah. my dad knew you were a little punk back in the day and all that. So it's just some petty political grievance from the old neighborhood or whatever. But he got the pull. He has the pull to do it, Willie. So he got, he, uh, he, I, I, I mean, I can't say he won, but a guy like that can't, can't win, but. Mm. Bullshit. I mean, David, I remember uh, in one of those talks you sent me, like David Simon was like regaling a lot of the different things people have said about his show. And they're like, you're so great because none of your characters are 100% good or 100% evil. And he was like, even Valchek? You think that about Valchek? <laughs> oh, we do. We didn't mention uh, that uh, Lieutenant Daniels was yeah. infuriated that uh, Jay Landsman didn't alert them about Ziggy killing Double G and thus uh, hampering their investigation. At first, I was like, wait, I was going to ask. I was like, oh, I'll ask Willie this. Why didn't they... Um, you know, know ahead of time what what had happened there, and then of course five minutes later, I was like, "Oh, idiot! It's answered right now," because they're incompetent. Is this and the Jay first? Landsman, yeah. Is this the first time we've seen like Jay be apologetic? About yeah, him? I don't know. He seemed a little calmer last episode when Ziggy was confessing. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh no, that's good. Yeah, like he wasn't being a yeah condescending jerk in that moment, but. Yeah, was, yeah, you apologize. I think it is. I, I've never, maybe to Rawls to please him, like bootlicking, but Daniels, man, he, uh, and he outranks him too, right? So pretty bad that they couldn't put two and two together. So, um, you know, I'm surprised also that Amy didn't pick up the newspaper and be like, ah, oh, Greek warehouse, next <laughs> job. <laughs> but she obviously knew already, right? I mean, yeah, she's overextended though with her with her child and the job at the salon and everything. And her idiot. I always wonder like what I guess we'll talk about this next episode, but how does 
like does Nick tell her that he hooked up with Prissy and like how does that or they just pretend it never happened I don't know I, I'm betting now that Nick doesn't say anything because he's that kind of guy or he'll get really like hey, Amy <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah he's definitely uh, doing some manipulative fuckboy shit throughout the <laughs> <laughs> He really does. He was like earlier. He was like, I was saving up. Like I was gonna surprise you and get you a new house. Like I was just Mm -hmm. saving up and. (laughs) Yeah, I was just. uh, Yeah, I was just working overtime after. But yeah, my tough situation. But come on, Nick. Anyway, sorry, I got way off off track. But the we got uh, the. Mm. The intel going on with uh, Bunk and McNulty teaming up and BD and Kima. They got their uh, fashion uh, talk going on. Classic Bunk and McNulty discussion, this time about the... Sp- uh, Spiros's wardrobe. Yeah, because McNulty thinks he knows that it's Perry Ellis, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it ends with uh, McNulty about to drop a joke or something about a man who cared too much about how they dress. Was he about to drop like a gay joke or something? That's what and, I was. Uh, th- that's what I was thinking. They have some. Uh, they've been having some like casual, like homophobic little asides like that these past yeah. Because like, so like, yeah, McNulty was like trying to like uh, basically call him gay or something because he pays too much mm-hmm. attention to his clothes and. Bunk kind of like turns it back on him and says like, you know, you like McNulty's like, you know what they call someone who pays a lot of attention to their clothes, and Bunk's like, mm-hmm, a grown up. But then mm-hmm. later, and then later, <laughs> mm-hmm, a grown up. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, um, different time that this show is made in. Yeah, definitely. Um, but regardless, Spiros is doing pretty well for himself, you know, with all that. Uh, it's like the uh, criminal that we see, you know. I, I mean, I guess we do see Stringer's place eventually. Avon has all his houses, so yeah, you know. I mean, he's uh, putting his money to work, but still in a very Spiros, uh, understated, you know, type of yeah. way. They're probably living better than Stefanos, that's for sure. Jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanos. You won't let that go. You're you're really invested <laughs> with that guy. Well, I feel like since I was kind of like uh, you know, blase blase, like brushing him off as just the help who doesn't really speak English and not like he's a lot smarter, you know. He goes the bad for them. Yeah, but I really hope he doesn't live in some room like in the basement of little Johnny's or something. That'd be fucked up. <laughs> the I hope he has a I hope he has a row house at least in Greek town or something. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. The inequity between them is is staggering. It's uh, disheartening. They're just uh, exploiting them. Yeah, but uh, so Bunk McNulty, Kima and BD all follow uh, the team to a hotel, like where they're like having a meeting, and uh, Bunk and McNulty are like bonding over like how well BD is doing, like. Uh, mm-hmm bunk references that she wasn't much to start with and mcnulty's like and now she's got game like they're really Mm -hmm. happy about like she does seem kind of like timid and awkward in the way she's following spiros but she's like using the pointers kima gave her saying shit like you know use mirrors 
uh, to like catch what's ahead of you. Maybe like kind of like a bizarre reference to how they were using mirrors a lot in season one to reveal like mm. thing. <clears throat> Maybe I don't know, um, but it was like. <laughs> I'm sorry, your uh, the uh, the volume on your headphones like that that little dial or whatever like what is that called or like the mic on your headphones yeah, yeah sometimes when you're moving sideways it almost kind of looks like the uh like when the priest has that little white thing on <laughs> it's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry nice. i absolve you of all your sins bro over zoom <laughs> Thank you. Will you please accept this uh, stained glass? Uh, <laughs> it's really nice. No. <laughs> uh, I have to like, I don't know. I'm going to wait until all the offers come through and decide which one I like best. So as not to offend anyone and start off a whole like petty rivalry. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> they did like, it's so crazy. There's really not like a lot of like quote unquote action on this show but there's so much suspense derived from just like a simple thing of like BD, like trying to be hidden and following this guy to his hotel room, seeing how nervous she is. And, you know, it's just like a chase scene on foot where one of the people doesn't know, like the people, the person involved doesn't know he's even being chased and they're like walking at a leisurely pace, but it's like fucking like edge of your seat thrill, right? <laughs> Yeah, it was intense. I mean, well, we know Spiros is capable of um, slitting someone's throat rather effectively. And you know, he's done it once and he's going to do it again shortly. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, you know, but she kind of just at the end of the day, I think it's her natural instincts as just, you know, what they would like. They never really saw her as um you know like the type of cop obviously that that they all want to embody so i think it's just her it's that it's ironically well to me at least just bd you know being you know being able to exist as a human outside of her uh her job right. but you know it it's could... kind of the lines are blurred but i mean yeah. you know she was like listening to salsa once upon a time and whatever <laughs> checking customs tags but yeah. yeah she just looks like a regular person i guess they could they consider know. they consider this moment to be where she became a good police but they don't know that in her heart she's been a great police all this time <laughs> great police really huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is natural weird. police yeah super frustrating the emo is paying more attention to getting uh, her parking ticket dispensed through the machine than like recognizing the fucking whole mastermind of this criminal operation is just like casually walking by her playing with his little necklace, like or his little chain. His prayer beads? His prayer beads. He was right in front of her. <laughs> it's like... Damn, I gotta get. Yeah, I should have like figured out a way to get this validated. This is kind of stressful. Cheryl's gonna get mad at me. Like, if I get a, even if the department could write off the parking ticket. But, uh, oh, look, just a guy, uh, 
humming some uh, Stelios, probably. Stelios <laughs> Kazant CDs. <laughs> yeah, just playing with some prayer beads, some straight up like out of the Godfather type stuff. Is that just a normal thing that occurs at the, what is it, Hyatt Regency? And oh shit, I never tracked it, but I'm sure it's like, yeah. I don't know. Did they mention Howard Street or something? Probably not. It's probably, you know, it's downtown somewhere, but maybe that is just a normal day in Baltimore. But, you know, know, it's like, hey, we're looking for the Greeks. This guy looks like the most Greek guy ever, even if he's not. Is the actor Greek? Is he another like non Greek (laughs) Bill Raymond? He was born in San Francisco. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Frisco. Uh, San Fran, Willie? No, yeah. that's what that's what all the cool people call it. San Fran, no. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, other than that scene, we have the uh, the culmination of um, Stringer's like bizarre, like backhanded plan to mm-hmm. like f- get rid of like Avon's distraction from them like making like having the chance at making profit off of the good dope by lying to Omar and telling him brother Muzon is the one who tortured brand tortured and killed Brandon mm-hmm. and uh that whole uh that whole plan goes goes pretty wrong due to Omar's perceptiveness about a uh, you know the situation and human nature and stuff like that um yeah what the hell is up with this plan willie i mean looking back now it's like when people (laughs) criticize the show (laughs) is this one of those like plot uh you know devices or directions that it's kind of questionable i mean i guess it's hard to look at that way i should stop contradicting myself considering the brilliant uh iconic moments that brother muzon and omar give us um but i mean it's like stringer's essentially signing his death death note right there but why not just talk to avon and be like hey we grew up together uh can you just call off brother muzon well we or it's see, just it's <laughs> i mean we see and we see in season three how impossible to negotiate with avon yeah. is and probably has been all this time but also i just like it is a really stupid plan but i th- like that like stringer concocts to have this whole thing like supposedly work out in his favor but i think it's really good writing that mm-hmm. um, it's just like revealing stringer's flaws as a leader or like you know strategist because i think he's just getting like too comfortable with how successfully he pulled off the whole like uh d'angelo suicide fake out that he's just like all right well i i gotta like keep being in charge of things so i can i i I can get away with whatever i want and i'm just going to continue to like do outlandish shit no matter how crazy it gets but this was also like proposition joe's idea too wasn't it Mm -hmm. yeah prop joe is to blame i mean uh yeah he uh i mean maybe he was just trying to be practical prop joe like okay, I'll bring it up to Stringer. It probably is, you know, maybe he's concocting a flawed plan just to, you know, fuck with the Barksdales and stuff. Or he's just like, hey, I kind of get bored of these toasters and clocks. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe you know, a little drama, like a little entertainment. I'll just, yeah, I, I mean, Omar is the most logical uh, 
rebuttal to Brother Mazone's uh, skill set in this city. You know, it's yeah. a small city after all, right? It's not, I mean, how many skilled, you know, marksmen or stick up men or savvy guys in the streets are there really? I right. mean, you know, they're, they're out there, but he's like, it's like his, it's like Prop Joe's version of like fantasy football or something. Where he's <laughs> yeah. just like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like i'm is. gonna i'm gonna play omar against brother mazone and just see like sit back and just mind my clocks and hope that they don't come back to try to kill me which i mean it gets dicey but <laughs> too bad they can't have an app to like track how their players are doing. <laughs> it's like his just sick twisted like street fantasy street draft uh, king uh, street draft <laughs> fantasy that should be willie and yakov coming out with the new fantasy. street drafting fantasy street draft moving street draft universe uh, uh, uh anyways yeah i don't know what's going on today willie. <laughs> it's all good um, um but we see yeah they like you know stringer stringer and proposition joe are trying to just figure out a way to get rid of both omar and brother muzone they they really don't care about omar's life at all but as we can see omar is smart like arguably smarter than both of them for how he kind of just like picks up on uh these things when he does go to confront brother muzone and he does a gut shot and just before he's like about to like shoot him or let him bleed out, he realizes just by, you know, reading his body language, seeing that he's like silently praying to his own deity before he gets killed. Uh, Omar realizes like, oh, I've been like horribly tricked by this. But it's also, I mean, it is kind of like, why didn't he just pick up on that in the first place from how ludicrous uh, it sounded the way Stringer was selling it? But then again, mm. you know, as you said, it does give us this iconic moment between the yeah. two of them in the motel. That was smooth, though. You like his own deity. I was like, Allah, Allah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I get like I think the first like couple times I saw this, I didn't realize that he was praying during that. Oh moment. yeah, he's praying, but, man. He's... Yeah. Well, I just like see it <laughs> on the closed caption. It says silently praying to his deity. <laughs> <laughs> all right we got to be careful i mean we're not laughing at anyone's faith here um but yeah i mean it's the worst case scenario where they like they actually find some synergy brother and omar yeah so it's like oh shoot these guys are nuanced enough to realize what's going on and then they both have us although they're really op like the way they live their life uh, their lifestyles are completely opposite, you know. Yeah, <laughs> one's living in like uh, vacants, he's gay and yeah. uh, smokes cigarettes, he doesn't drink, but the other guy's like a you know, Muslim, uh, and you know, they have their own specific code of you know, yeah. conducting themselves and beliefs. Probably has uh, a nice so. house in New York and makes sure to read all, yeah. he, he's got a checklist of literary magazines he wants to read. Uh, hopefully he doesn't own a bakery <laughs> no I'm just sorry that's is that offensive uh, <laughs> i don't know why bmb man why you know BMB? that what's that your black muslim bakery it's like our own it's like the closest thing to like where we're from like the barksdale type stuff 
with the the bays, which I which I totally forgot to mention when we talked to uh talked about the bay origins. Like what what does bay mean exactly? And then I was thinking like, oh shoot, we got our own bays, like uh-huh. Yusuf Bay and you know the bakery where they like they're the ones who essentially sent the hitman to kill Chauncey Bailey, <laughs> the journalist. What? I didn't know anything about this. That's crazy. Yes, you do, Willie. Chauncey Bailey, Hayward High graduate, the journalist who was looking into the your black Muslim bakery in West Oakland, and they sent the uh, like custodial guy in a white van, and he basically a stringer belt. Like it was like yeah, it was like I don't want to compare them to Omar and Brother Mazal, but it's like, okay, one day we'll make our own Bay Area wire, Willie. They they like kidnapped and tortured people or like stashes. It's insane. Well, we could have had our own Bay Area Wire at one point when David Simon <laughs> pitched a show about <laughs> Oakland, right? Well, that well, yeah, and I mean, maybe I don't know. It was more specific, but that it was like, it was like specific to prostitution, right? Yeah. So maybe so, I mean elements. Maybe that's what the deuce became. In- yeah. <laughs> maybe that's closer to deuce because the YBNB story is like when I think of. I mean, obviously, okay, I'm getting a way off track. We'll see what we'll see what this what of this sticks, but you know, like the wire could take place anywhere. It's like any inner city story, but like if you think about some really crazy Barksdale type organization, I've always think of like, oh shit. See, maybe we just like a new project, Willie. We always we talked about it. Maybe we just hashed it out like on wax, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, their whole lifestyles like diverge. But then, I mean, at this moment, I can say, you know, the first time I was watching, I was definitely like, "Oh shit, he just killed that guy!" Like, like yeah. he just rat. Uh, but that's not rat shot, and he's yeah. gonna bleed out. But brothers are well equipped to handle these situations. Remains calm. Yeah, but doesn't uh, even scream or anything. No, and I mean, it was a clean. It went clean through some. Uh, also, you know, brilliant dialogue between the two and Omar, you know, nine at a close range will do that. More bullet talk from Brother Mazone. Yeah. He knows his calibers. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the worst case scenario, as I was saying before, devolving into some crazy whatever background stuff. But uh, yeah. he, uh, yeah, he, it's over for Stringer at this moment. You but, did, um, man. You did mention something uh, here in the in the document, the Google document. Oh, the famous Google Doc that you love. <laughs> we we take no notes, no notes, no notes. <laughs> yeah, Willie, will you? No notes, no notes, no notes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tasha and Kimmy kind of uh, fake out uh, Lamar as he yeah. as he's guarding. Uh, He's guarding Brother Muzon, and you mentioned something about when Lamar like goes down to like pet the dog, and he's like, he's like, you know, making cutesy little sounds on it. You mentioned something about is this about DeAndre McCullough's uh, alleged <laughs> animal cruelty, and I don't know if I remember yeah. well, anything about that. Well, the, I mean, the whole thing is like, you know, I realized that this, like, watching it this time around which you know it's embarrassing sometimes the nuance or the details that i miss and i'm like should i should i uh, out myself as not realizing this the, f- the first few times i watched the show but yeah they i mean they 
Omar is so brilliant that he picks up Lamar is really fond of animals, right? That's why they, that's why Tasha and Kimmy come back with Butchie's dog. What is, by the way, I mean, sorry, I know you asked me a specific question. I get, I'm really bad at doing this. Sorry, everyone. I got ADD sometimes, but um, what is Butchie's dog's name? Because I know it's from episode three and I'm trying to, because in the, in the episode, that's where, uh, yeah, we meet Butchie the first time. And then he's like, so do love his varmints. And they're gambling on that, like the dog's ability right. to kill rats. But anyways, I, yeah, I was just wondering this, like, uh, some redemptive quality for, uh, like Deandre, who we talked about and, you know, it's, definitely sad what happened to him in real life but he also did some pretty pretty bad things uh I, yeah i remember reading it in the corner but let's just say canard you know putting that cat in the sack and light, trying to light on fire later on and yeah. the show like i don't think they just made that up out of thin air you know um but anyways Lamar likes uh, dogs, you know, just try to keep it simple, but pretty brilliant of Omar, right? I mean, who thinks it's like, oh, we got the two women, they're dressed nice, they're looking good, and then he's like, oh, the dog is what interests me, yeah. yeah. Br brilliant stroke. Junk, that was the name. Junk do like his vomit. Anyways, Lamar got what, I mean, he got the sap, is that, yeah. that, that was called the sap? That's what, like, what the cops would use, but Omar has something like that, or, or did he just pistol whip him? But I mean, come on, like, can we just, before I move on, Willie, what the hell? Stringer's really like, yeah, that's the guy could convince Omar. Like <laughs> a, a guy who wears like a clean suit every day and reads and does, makes his own bullets. What, you know, what, what is he trying to go? I don't understand. Like he really just hates like gay people that much that he's going to torture him or he's just like, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. He, Brother Muzone definitely seems so out of place from, uh, you know, the Barksdale crew or the Barksdale scene. So it seems kind of uh, laughable that Stringer would try to uh, pull that all off. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like what Brother Muzone even said to Omar. He said, it's not my style. Exactly. Seems, I mean, if he had more bodies on him than a Chinese cemetery, <clears throat> do you think he would really get to that high of a kill yeah. count by like taking his time with like torture and all that? No, he seems pretty efficient and effective and clean in and out type thing. Exactly. I was just thinking of that. So I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah. So I want to talk about uh, this uh, pretty powerful scene the meeting between frank and ziggy at the uh lockup the men's central lockup we can assume where ziggy's stuck on the eager street yeah it's really sad uh this uh ties into uh what uh frank and uh lou talk about later on in that they should have listened to their kids or spent more time with their kids um when it becomes like really apparent uh, in this scene, how little Frank really knows about Ziggy and how much he had been struggling on the inside with all the humiliation and whatnot and all that. And it's kind of like crazy, depressing, terrifying. Uh, after Ziggy leaves the room and goes back in to join all the other guys and they're like slowly circling in on him, 
Frank just kind of like watches helplessly as he sees like what potentially is like a major beatdown of his own son and he can't do anything about it. I don't want to take away from the scene, but how the hell did Frank get um like one-on-one face-to-face sit-down meeting with his son like at that point in the game? You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about like the logistics of how the prison system works to even like recognize that that could have been an inaccuracy. Let me tell you how lockup works. Well, no, never, never seen it. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like most people wouldn't even get the chance to really do that. I mean, well, you know, we saw um, Brianna and D'Angelo meet, but that was after. He had been sent away to the outside of the city to serve out his sentence, but they were between talking between glass, like with their hands up, like yeah. that. But so, but yeah. Thank you for putting your hand up to the zoom camera to illustrate what it was like for D'Angelo and yeah. Diana to have their exactly. moments together. The reality of their home life too, with Ziggy's mom being a, well, we could like assume someone who abused pills. I don't know, maybe yeah. tall, but pretty sad. Um, yeah, it's I mean, just the, bad all around for Ziggy. The yeah. fact that we haven't seen any of Ziggy's moms throughout the whole season kind of speaks for itself and illustrating what kind of mother she was. Yeah, he's got some issues and. Yeah, I mean, this, uh, you know, Frank's like in one last grasp trying to maybe shore up some of the deficiencies, um, you know, that he's that have come to light as far as his parenting is concerned. And he's like, You're a sabaka, come on. Yeah. But that, uh, it's the reality of the situation. It doesn't necessarily apply to because Ziggy just, you know, he knows what's, what's up. Um, which he pretty brilliantly uh, expresses, and then he kind of gives like a uh, like a Ziggy old time Ziggy uh, chuckle, or you know, his saunter back into the back into the holding tank. Whereas you know, you illustrated for us the you know brutality or the feeling of helplessness uh, Frank might have felt watching his undersized son, you know, surrounded by these sharks, but. He's kind of like, you know, you're thinking back to what we were talking about last episode, where is he really remorseful, which I believe now hearing him talk to his dad. We learn also that the Greek, uh, you know, the young man there, who we assume is Greek, helping Double G, didn't actually die, right? Yeah. So a gut shot where the guy didn't die, that's like, oh, that's brutal. But Ziggy seems very, you know, traumatized by uh, the reaction of that kid. You know, but then, yeah, like I was saying, he kind of gives him like, yeah, like, what the fuck, you know, just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make it kind of type, type of uh, statement. At least that's kind of what I thought. I don't know what you, what you took away from that. If you understood in my vague rambling, what, what I'm, exa- what detail I'm talking about. I get you. I get you. Uh, he definitely seems uh very uh apologetic and guilt-ridden about what he did but in that last moment he's like fucked is what i am and he's just like kind of laughing 
about it it's like almost as if like he's laughing at like the cosmic joke that his life has become at that point that even though you know frank and um nick often kind of like chide him and like ride his ass about not being like man enough or like all this shit he's the only sabadka that's like gonna have to face jail time so in some ways he's he's gonna end up being more hardened than any of them yep so after that we have uh frank talking to his brother about the whole fallout from this situation mm. yeah. and he finds out about nick's uh little uh mm, tasting of the heroin trade uh, <laughs> Or tasting oh, yeah. of the profits from it, which totally shocks him. So Getting into like, that hair on. Yeah, but it's like, damn, dude, like, couldn't you have, like, figured that out for yourself that, like, you were making him comfortable and the stealing and stuff that he was just going to, like, you know, pro- pro- progress to that at some point? Jeez. Yeah, I guess Fuji cameras are the gateway. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's just like how out of touch Frank is and caught up in the dredging and all that, that he can't see his own nephew and son turning into uh, criminals. Because I'm just like, where does Ziggy live or where does he go? I mean, it, when he's not blacked out, passed out in Locust Point at his uncle and aunt's house, he must be so he must be in Glen Burnie, right, with his dad. How How does Frank not notice, like... Ah, my son's got a new like leather coat. And, yeah, I guess these are all the you know. It's the reason the show's great, right? It's like yeah. hiding in plain sight. Um, but yeah, Frank really out of touch. I mean, I feel bad for his brother who worked. We was he like a engineer or something, or just like a builder? more hands-on like he wasn't a checker like right he just yeah he kind of he kind of gets a raw deal frank alluded to or he didn't change unions or something but uh yeah it's tough man a shitty shitty situation um, i felt bad for him you know at least he got a warrant like at least they showed the courtesy to show him uh why they were there instead of just you know hitting him or something Frank's way out of touch, man. I guess low stakes, right? Like, I mean, Ziggy took it to that level, Willie, but when you're a white guy drug dealer, it's like, the worst that could happen, witness protection or probation, right? Like, uh, White Mike, where was the witness protection for William Gant, Willie? It's like you get rewarded for cooperating when there's, like, leverage against you or something, which to me, it seems to be the opposite, but... I mean, I guess it's like you don't want to turn away potential deals, you know, like you want to have some leverage if you're the cops. One last meeting between Frank and Bruce, Willie, for old time's sake. Yeah, you want to talk I, about that? It's a pretty good yeah. scene. It's always powerful when those two link up. Bruce uh, lets him know that the whole brain peer thing is a no-go, essentially, and Frank is uh, kind of like ruminating on what this all means. And he has that really great line. He says, we used to make shit in this country, build shit. Now we just put our hand in the next guy's pocket. And I definitely like felt him with that sentiment there. But also like it kind of made me feel like, ooh, I haven't really made shit or built shit all my life. I don't, I hope he doesn't like see me as like a sellout uh, from like 
all the stuff I've been doing all my life. I'm kind of lazy and not really like yeah, really. hardened by, 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 by like putting in like good constructive work for, for the economy and the country. Under the Marxist model, are you a laborer? Are you the working class, Willie? I don't know. <laughs> um, Apparently, uh, cashiers aren't even. Yeah, Willie, we ain't shit, man. What can I tell you? We're just. <laughs> <laughs> we're essentially, uh, yeah. I mean, we're not. We're not building anything. I just got my hands in the, uh, you know, whoever can pay up right just doing doing what we can not really build not not making anything great you know well just think about i mean the conversation is like who i mean the next guy's pocket it's like a i mean that could be interpreted in many ways i'm sure i'm I'm interested your takes i mean bruce has just dropped a pretty casually just said like all that money that you spent on lobbyists and like my you know paying me and clay davis and all that didn't you know, it all means nothing because you are tainted now. Yeah. You're being investigated by the FBI. So, so uh, yeah, that grain pier, yeah, it's done. That yeah, it's yeah. all it's all gone. But I feel like that was like a convenient out, like a, for Bruce and everyone. I feel like it never was going to happen, regardless. Damn, that's that's cold. But yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yes, Frank. Like he, you know, when he read that article that day, Bruce was like. Like gave him an out. I hope I don't get killed when I give him the news, but this is way easier. And I just got paid and I'm, I mean, he's got dirty money though. So I don't know. I'm sure he washes it. At one point, BD uh, comes to Frank and kind of like pleads with, pleads with him to, to talk to, to law enforcement about what he knows. Um, It kind of, it shows them kind of like, even though they've been odds at with one another, like for a lot of this season, uh, this does show that they they are friends at the end of the day, and she feels like she can get some good intel out of him, and that she like instinctually trusts that he's like a better man than a lot of the stuff he's involved with. So Frank does go to the detail office and promises them that he can give he can offer up a lot of dirt on a a lot of their uh, primary targets but it's like god damn it dude why didn't Rhonda arrange for frank to have a lawyer there in the first place before he starts like saying all this shit because like they say like you know we can get all this stuff on record but we just need to have a lawyer present so you know go home and sleep on it and we'll do it first thing in the morning and of course that doesn't end up well. So it's like, fuck, man, couldn't anybody have told him to bring a lawyer with him uh for yeah. this, for this shit? Like But in a way, I mean, her talking to him kinda seals his fate in a way, right? Because his cooperation is what leads yeah. to his death. How could he know that Kutris who the hell is Coot? Like, maybe is that one of the things that frustrates people too about this season? Where it's like, all right, they're just like, does it like? I need some more information. I'm sorry on this Greek, on this Kutris guy, but he just it's too convenient sometimes. But I mean, it all. I guess it all. It's all its own ecosystem. So this show, man, really uplifting, right, Willie? As you could tell by our uh, really sprightly, uh, invigorating conversation at this point. 
I mean, the Greeks do their thing. Nick and Frank have one last meeting. Well, uh, I mean, Spiros and Spiros and the Greek are trying to, you know, figure out what they're going to do. And they reluctantly come to the idea that they could, um, completely, you know, work something out with Frank so that they could lean on, uh, the kid who got shot in the appliance store to get him to testify that, you know, Ziggy shot in self-defense or something that would get Ziggy out of jail for free. So they're basically going to put Frank in a, in a tough spot by, uh, you know, making him swear loyalty or kiss the ring, essentially, um, not realizing until as literally as he's walking up that uh, he's he's already been been squealing or been talking to the cops. Um, and yeah, Nick uh, Nick plays a a big hand in getting Frank killed too because uh, he's convinced that Spiros has their best interests at heart and kind of plays on the uh the emotional card of promising to get Ziggy out of jail. So it's all fucked up. Nick has been uh, experiencing a lot of uh crazy emotions in these last couple episodes too. We see him like go home earlier on, um, thinking mm-hmm. that it's just gonna be like a normal trip home. And then he realizes like all his neighbors are giving him the eye. Or they're like looking at him funny because they know what he doesn't know that his house was raided earlier. And it's just kind of like a continuation of that like awkward little exchange. He has the nonverbal exchange he has with that lady that's looking out her front door when he's talking to Frog about like a drug deal that's going down where he experiences kind of like some shame that, you know, he he's been like critical of these types of people who have to deal drugs to make a living before that point. But then when he's talking with frog, he has like this like brief embarrassment with this old lady looking at him. And now he's like going home and everybody in the neighborhood (laughs) has like caught on to like what a fraud he is and is like seeing him for who he really is at this point, you know? So it's, it's great how that all kind of, that progression it is great to see nick shame (laughs) (laughs) he's like damn hooking up with that hooking up with prissy really is that bad like damn everybody everybody knows like this is the walk of shame for sure it's like all i did was drink like i had a regular thursday night in locust point i drank a bottle of whiskey and hooked up with some random chick from the neighborhood that like i loosely knew from growing up but it's a lot more you really think, yeah, like at first he's like, damn, they're slut shaming me. How dare they? Yeah, what the hell is this, man? He's like, whoa, all right, I'll just, like, how am I going to lie to Amy? How am I going to, like, I was just out scouting apartments in Essex with Prissy. <laughs> no. She has an aunt who's better than teen aunt teensy who actually has affordable housing for sale to hard-working local 47 walk of shame for for nick though willie i mean come on man doesn't get much better than that right for me it really doesn't i just wanted to say one thing though oh, okay i didn't i could have probably brought it up when you mentioned how uncle lou and frank are talking 
about how they should have paid more attention to their kids and listen and stuff. And although, you know, Nick's his nephew, when Nick's doing his whole like guilt tripping, I mean, when Frank's guilt tripping Nick right before he goes alone to meet the Greek, he's like, God damn it. Like, how could you let this happen? Like heroin? Are you serious, Nick? What the hell are you thinking? Blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, come on, man, Spiros, like, he likes me, you know, like, let me go with you, maybe, you know? And then he's just like, get out of here, like, go home. Like, what do you mean, loyalty? And then he just, he he, he doesn't listen to him. I mean, I understand he's yeah. really upset at that point, but uh, what do you, do you have any thoughts? Is that maybe an instance where, oh, shit, maybe if he would have listened to Nick, Spiros wouldn't have butchered him, or maybe he would have killed both of them in that moment? He, they definitely would have killed both of them, I think. But who who was that? It was the driver guy. Like, did they have enough muscle to take out? Because Pablo's driver is like six five. Yeah. Yeah. Like Nick's a big dude. Yeah. I don't know, man. Spears has more experience with like actually killing people, though. Yeah. Do they have an umbrella too? Do they have like an Antifa umbrella down there? That's, <laughs> that's some dangerous shit. Yeah. <laughs> or no? Am I tripping? What are you doing, Willie? You taking vitamins or something? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, got it. I have my turmeric in the mornings, and now I'm taking, Willie is taking his magnesium for sleep. Uh, That's exactly what I took. (laughs) (laughs) I took it. I I got it, and I literally had no idea what it was, everyone. I was like, okay, I should know this. I know it's probably good as like a magnesium calcium supplement. And then I was like, hey Willie, what what is up with this magnesium? You take it to you take it for bed for good sleep. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking? And he really just instantly knew it. So I know you too well, Ben. All right, everyone. We got about twenty minutes to get these segments done before Willie uh, you know, <laughs> goes full magnesium on us and nods off. <laughs> magnesium yeah he's going full magnesium uh yeah let's get into uh the wire universe oh jesus Did you have yeah, more yeah. stuff? Okay. No, no, I was just saying like, oh, man, I got some notes. No notes. No notes. No notes. Um, so there was a guy who uh, made it a kind of a cameo aside from uh, <laughs> David Simon, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, what, I mean, that was pretty random. I, I, I didn't remember that he showed up at this point. I thought he just – I thought it was season five where he's talked yeah. about being a reporter, but – yeah, I mean both. He's like asking, like, is it just you or is it the whole union? Yeah, so, oh, tricky Simon. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wonder how many people recognized him the first time around, or first people are probably like, okay, yeah, <laughs> believable reporter. Yeah, yeah, sure, why not? Um, but there's another guy who made a cameo who was the, um, he's the guy who is questioning Frank's decision to take little big Roy's uh, union card for the day. And he has to sign off on it or check it off, like give him the slip for his labor, like punching in or whatever the guy who's managing the time clock. And he was a, uh, a veteran checker uh, with, I'm assuming 
a local 953 um, named Steve Lekuski. Lekuski? Yeah. Lekuski? You got to say Likuski. the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Lekuski. Uh, so, you know, just peppering in the uh, the real doc characters. I don't know how many others we might have missed, you know, yeah. who uh, show their face. But, you know, Simon always giving the uh, shout out to the locals. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, that's good stuff. He actually, I looked him up. I, I think this is probably it. Uh, currently, there's S-T-A-I-L-A. It's like, I don't know what S-T-A means, but I-L-A, I'm assuming. International Long Shoreman Association. Container Royalty Vacation and Holiday Funds. And there's, uh, under that position or title... There is an address and a um, a phone number to a Steve Lakuski, long time. Yeah, he's the longtime checkers dispatcher. So uh, his number is four one zero. Should we get? Should <laughs> yeah, we give him a call? Dachshund, think. <laughs> you want you want me to get? It's one in the morning, Willie. But maybe we'll get a like a an office. Should I call it? <laughs> I mean, the hope was to not wake someone up. I mean, it's the middle of the night, but it's like, you know, just. Hello, you've reached the Container Royalty Vacation Holiday Fund Office. Due to the pandemic, the office is closed and only operating via telephone. Please leave your name, number, and a detailed message, and somebody will return your call at their earliest convenience. If you're trying to contact anybody in the pension fund, severance and annuity, and benefits fund, their number is 410-633-9311. Thank you, and have a great day. Was there dog barking? Was there yeah. dog barking in the background <laughs> at one point? Did you hear that? Maybe. Hey, well, the office is closed. You got to leave your, you got to maybe set the voicemail from home or something, you know. So not Steve Lakuski himself, but uh, maybe an admin or a partner who works at the uh, Royalty Vacation Holly Fund. So, yeah, it looks like he's doing pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good for himself considering um, the way the docs has changed. So he's, he's now, I mean, I assume that's where you bank your, vacation days and some pool and they kind of maintain that yeah. oversight it's like like a hr type situation so all right maybe one day we could talk to steve but see what he thought but uh another story i wanted to talk about or a report from the history of the docks i know we've kind of alluded to this uh, meshing of the streets and the docks a few times, like Ziggy interacting with cheese um, or, you know, escalating into prop Joe dealing with the Greeks. But as far as the union workers, I mean, Nick meets prop Joe, but that's about it too. Right. As far as like uh, the intersection between drug dealers or, you know, the crime world of Baltimore and the dock workers themselves. I mean, I guess Nick goes to talk with Lala to Cheese as well, but it's like pretty yeah. brief stuff. They aren't really involved, but this is a story kind of about uh, 
local crime figures um, getting involved with the docs and actually being union members. <laughs> so, um, so there's a local three, three, three. And um, this is kind of just a little background. They had a president presidential or like kind of a runoff similar, I guess, to what you'd see with Ott and Frank for secretary, but this is for the local president or leader, the chapter leader. And there was a guy named Riker, Rocky McKenzie, but he, um, I guess he had a prior conviction for heroin. So the top brass in the ILA office up in New York, I guess in the headquarters said he couldn't, he couldn't uh, run any longer. It was, he was ineligible, but he had once, um, at a fundraiser at uh, the El Dorado, um, which was the strip club owned by Kenny Bird Jackson, who kind of talked about inspiring yeah. some of Stringer's behavior with real estate and development and all that, getting involved in business world. And also, you know, his nickname was Bird. So enough said there. But uh, yeah, Kenny Bird Jackson, he was a member of the local 333 or 333. And uh, he had a, uh, a guy who would actually do pretty much what Frank was pulling with little big Roy, but every day. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, he had a straw worker named Anthony James Carroll and he would just clock in for him and log union hours. But I guess that, yeah, I mean, there was some sweetener in the deal because I mean, I'm assuming they're both getting paid, but just from separate ends. (laughs) It's like every time somebody thinks David Simon and Ed Burns are jumping the shark, there's a real story to back up. Like, Yeah, exactly. I mean, this technically happened after. Like, this happened actually recently where the guy got in trouble. And this, like, the top of the story I was talking about with the union election and all that was, like, 2009. But so this guy, Anthony James Carroll... He um, he got in so deep, get this, that uh, there were details about a woman who wanted to almost marry this guy, thinking that he was Kenny Bird Jackson, the like <laughs> crime boss, like club owner, or not, you know, not on not on paper. You know, it was always like a straw purchase of the liquor license due to his criminal background, which we've talked about being very extensive, getting off for multiple. Um, you know, beating murder cases and all sorts of crazy stuff in Baltimore for many decades. Um, and Carol, I, it, it kind of all fell apart when Carol, the man operating, you know, as essentially Kenny Bird Jackson got arrested for driving a stolen car in 2007. So that put an end to it, not like any sort of investigation. <laughs> They're just like, wait, what? You're, you're working as Kenny Bird Jackson? And, uh, there's another guy who was involved as well named Milton Tillman Jr. So that name's familiar because we talked about how Odell's, that club that uh, was a real club, and of course referenced by, um, what's her name? Tawanda? Uh, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, the interview. Deidre Crescent's uh, friend said that that's where Deidre met Avon at Odell's, but the real club was... Yeah, of course, like a big East Side club and um, frequented by the heavy hitters of the 80s, like uh, Peanut King and so forth. But Milton Tillman Jr. owned, he took over ownership in the, like, I think 1990. He's the guy who Elijah Cummings was his lawyer. 
Um, um, and yeah, he got in trouble because in 93, he tried to bribe zoning board members for like 30 grand to try to uh, get some permits because the city was trying to close down the club due to crimes and violence and murders that were happening in the area. And like, you know, they were saying it's not our fault necessarily. We're just trying to provide a space for kids to hang out. And anyways, long story. But yeah, he was also um, he was also involved in um, local 300, 333, 333. It's kind of silly, Willie, that I don't know how to properly pronounce it. Um, but think think of earlier in the season, Willie, when they were talking about who's the biggest guy on the east side. And then, like uh, Stringer said, Milton, when Avon was in jail. And I was like, oh, that's it. Because Milton Tillman Jr. was involved in drug dealing. Kind of like a similar character to Kenny Bird, where he's evolved to white-collar crimes. Bail bonds and real estate and docks the docks and this is probably where in the i think in the 90s a long time ago like well before the like the example that i just gave he was also doing the straw um like working like the scam with having someone poses him down at the dock so (laughs) yeah that's probably you know i'm sure there's so many tales of this happening but yeah, local 333 man. It's apparently 41 percent of the of that local had a prior criminal offense. Jeez. I don't know. It was a kind of a. I, I I mean, it was at least in the hundreds as far as membership. Um, but I mean, this article is obviously highly critical. There's plenty of just normal working folks involved. But um, yeah, so he Milton Tillman Jr. was also um, in the indictment, wrapped up in. Um, some like wire frauds that stated that he was getting paid to unload ships while in Brazil, Spain, and Vegas. So I, it was kind of unclear, like, you know, is he in Baltimore while he's getting paid to offload ships in Brazil? Because that's pretty cool. Or he's just traveling the world and like, oh, yeah, I went to Rio and got paid bank to offload some ships at the port. Like, he's just a working man's hero. And it, it's crazy. I mean... And in in investigating this guy, uh, they got some guys from local nine five the nine fifty three, which is kind of what I think David Simon and everyone looked at um, to you know gain inspiration for Frank. That's where like the guy Walt Benowitz and then the other guy we just talked about Lakuski Lakuski. I don't know. <laughs> They're from that local. So those guys were doing some wire fraud too, um, where they were just like getting paid to, uh, yeah, like uh, in France, Costa Rica, Iceland, Las Vegas, and Florida. So they were they were offloading ships everywhere too, where they weren't. Uh, but get this, it gets even, uh, it kind of also ties in, I guess, to um, that whole thing that happened in, uh, I think you know, it was 2005, like the huge RICO case with the mob in New York, which was, uh, I'd like to look into that more. I mean, it probably had some influence on this. Maybe maybe he drew beyond Baltimore to like get all this scamming. But um, I kind of talked about it too, so I'll wrap it up like previously. But uh, there are people there getting paid. <laughs> get this. Uh, a shop steward made 400000 one year and working 168 hours a week apparently so they were doing some good old wire fraud as well and um 
someone else is getting 462 grand in in a year um in 2009 for 25 hour work days what the <laughs> are you like these people i don't understand they like can't even do simple math like this doesn't even average a day like the hours don't make sense the 25th hour isn't that a movie good movie yeah oh man so pretty crazy stuff really but yeah, there's a little intersection between the streets of Baltimore and the docks. So just when you thought like drug dealing and all that stuff wasn't enough, like, hey, let's have some fake union time cards. And it's crazy. But yeah, also some things I just want to go back over since I didn't really have too much. Um, Blue, actually, Blue, who you're we talking about, George Epps, he actually passed away. Um, oh, recently? Uh, not so. I mean, 2009. So, that's yeah. Well, that's really so good. we, I mean, rest in peace to Blue, because we didn't really. I mean, we talked about some of the good things he was doing after, like, yeah. uh, after getting clean. Anyways, seemed like a great guy and did a lot of good to try to help people. But yeah, yeah rest in peace. Since he passed away, and I wasn't really aware, but he was 50. He was only 59. So, yeah. I guess he was. They said they didn't know, but um what happened but maybe i don't know maybe the years of abuse kind of caught up to him but took its toll yeah um also i uh i said that when i was talking about frank matthews and that whole story about uh mm -hmm. his connections to baltimore i said that uh one of his contacts or associates in the town named joe perry who was apparently a close lieutenant to uh, and childhood friend of little melvin died in this in the 60s but he actually was killed in january of 1973 wrong decade willie so he was apparently a big time uh drug dealer that's what they said but in the article i found there was like someone wrote in like that story you ran two weeks ago about joe perry being the last big dealer like that's not right to insinuate that he was that man you know so i don't know i mean well, thank you for correcting the record on that. Yeah, he got killed over, a, apparently over a woman, like an argument at a bar or something. It wasn't even really related to drugs like that, but who knows? Uh, I have limited information. Also, um, thanks for yeah, acknowledging me, acknowledging my mistakes. <laughs> uh, appreciate it, man. Uh, and also I said Bodie Barksdale, Nathan Bodie Barksdale, who, uh, you know, we know the story behind him, died in the 2010s, the early 2010s, Willie. And I was incorrect. He passed away in 2016. So feels good to set the record straight on that. So that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, for that section, we want to get into some All the Pieces Matter. Let's do it. Um, what you got, man? It's just you... a, a few things I noticed. I already mentioned at the top that like there is some unconventional non-diegetic soundtrack while the cops were doing their raid from the alarm clock radio doing like the morning news broadcast, news and weather broadcast. Um, and then um, there's a scene where Frank and Nick are talking to each other, which sadly ends up being their last meeting with each other when they're debating uh, 
you know, what to do about this whole situation. Is that Bethlehem Steel in the background? I'm just uh, mm, I don't know. You know, because they're like at the chain link fence and that building is in the background. I think that's the grain, like related to the grain pier. Okay. Or like there was like a grain tower or something there. Yeah. Cool. But anyway, it's it's got kind of like this weird look to it, uh, that whole conversation. Uh, because... I believe what they're doing is like either they're like <clears throat> they I think they have the camera on a track and they're like zooming in but also pulling back at the same time or vice versa they're like zooming out while they're tracking in which kind of it gives like this weird like disconnected feel that like their world is getting away from them or something there's like a lot of like psychological tension going on um yeah but they, i mean the guy who directed this episode i don't know if i've talked about him before but ernest dickerson he's like a veteran cinematographer and tv director but he did uh the cinematography for a lot of like spike lee's like early classic films um there's also uh some other non diet there's some non-diegetic music in the soundtrack uh for this episode because the episode's writer George Pelicanos, <laughs> no, not, not a, not Stephanopoulos, <laughs> chief no. advisor to the Wire, George Stephanopoulos, <laughs> <laughs> not the chief advisor to the Clinton campaign, George <laughs> Pelicanos. Uh, I'm never. I, I can't please believe. give, please give a little. <laughs> I was like texting you like, oh yeah, George Stephanopoulos. <laughs> George, no, George Steph killed it with the suggestions. <laughs> I'm like, really? Are, are you, what are you talking, are you deliberately flexing on me with something? You're like, oh no, I'm just getting ahead of myself. Sorry. I'm like, I'm really confused. I'm like, damn, George, Simon's got pulled like that? Like he's deep in trench with, <laughs> what? I, I was getting so frustrated with you because I was like, dude, George Stephanopoulos, the writer of the episode, yeah. used to read his books on the bar train. I was like, is Yako playing dumb with me right now? And this nah. continued for a few hours until I finally realized I was saying the wrong name. It's George Pelo. <laughs> George... <laughs> You're using nicknames too, like oh, I got him now, like George <laughs> Steph with it. I'm like, what? The fuck? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, funny. Uh, George Stephanopoulos. No, fuck. I didn't even <laughs> George. <laughs> George Pelicanos dug deep into his Greek heritage for this episode and recommended that some Stelios Kazantzidis. I hope oh, I'm saying yeah. that right. A prominent Greek singer uh, was was playing over some crucial like montage like scenes in this episode, um, and you know if you get the opportunity to listen to um, the two songs from Stelios that were used in this episode, uh, we got a. Uh, what are the t- What are the two? Because I only remember Effigy. There's. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce this right at all. To somi tis kisin etias and ina sidero anameno. I apologize for butchering that. But um, so he was a well known uh, 
Greek singer, one of the foremost composers, and he was a singer of popular music. It's like uh, also known as Lyco. I again, I'm sorry for the mispronunciation. Yeah. But uh, just a quick background from uh, our good friends at Wikipedia. Lyco is a Greek music genre composed in Greek language in accordance with the tradition of the Greek people, also called folk song or urban folk music. In its plural form is a Greek music genre, which has taken many forms over the years. Um, and it was like a very com- commercial uh, style that was used um, in a lot of like films throughout the years. Um, and Kazantzidis, Stelios Kazantzidis, actually performed in a lot of uh, Greek films from the 60s and 70s, uh, oftentimes on screen. Uh, and the, his uh, music is really important to everybody uh, of Greek heritage all over the world. He also sang in Turkish. Um, his songs were translated into Hebrew because he was a big deal in Israel. So, yeah, um, probably maybe some more information than anybody wanted to know about that. But I just thought that, like, it's a rare instance of, you know, a uh, uh, composer being featured on the soundtrack without, like, a tangible source Uh, within the reality of the show so i thought like it might be good to give him a shout out because they obviously felt like it was important enough yeah he's he's an amazing artist it also says that action bronson sampled that song at one point Uh, action bronson (laughs) what the hell okay i'm willing to bet that he found out about stelios kazan cds from the wire instead of um uh Kazantzidis and Marinelli, Marin, Marinella. <laughs> yeah, or, I mean, yeah. well, you don't. I never. T- he he did actually. That I met. I I saw him in Amsterdam once. Action Bronson, and I asked him. I was like, "That song you sampled is that? Are you a huge Wire fan?" And he was like, "Yeah." And then we talked, and then we went out and ate like salami and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> No, I really did meet him in Amsterdam, though. But instead of, like, having an intelligible conversation or saying anything, I just kind of, like, I hovered over to him for a second as he sat on the steps of a coffee house, baked out of his mind, which, you know, he was like, are you okay? Or, like, are you good? And I was like, yeah, I'm good. And then my uncle was like, you should get a picture with him. And I was like, no. And then I walked away. Yeah, so who knows? Maybe he likes wire too. But uh, I mean, we were talking about Stelios before. Also, he had a pretty crazy childhood. He was born in the early '30s. Stelios, like 31. So yeah. I guess when yeah, when he was 14. So around the time of the war, World War Two. You know, I don't know if it was related to that, but there was like sectarian violence and the right wingers, or like I don't, I want to probably say what fascists tortured his dad to death. So he had yeah. to get into the workforce and he started yeah just grinding it out and then i guess at a job someone one of his bosses or someone gave him a guitar and that kind of yeah changed changed the course of history and now we're talking about him here tonight willie so they did mention uh, in that wikipedia article that his music was a great comfort to people experiencing post-war malaise uh 
throughout the throughout Europe, and that um, he was commemorated with a postage stamp in 2010. Good stuff, man. Maybe we'll uh, check that out one of these days. Yeah. Get some Stelio stamps. But uh, yeah, that's really tragic about his dad. I know that's brutal. That's terrible. But, but great uh, art comes from misery sometimes, I guess. Yeah. So. Hey, go check them out, you know, Spotify, whatever. There's other ways to consume media, though, so music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. don't show your ass to the algorithm. Um, so you, you want to talk you... about some geography, will you? Yeah, dude, let's move on to GeoGenius. I don't have, I mean, I mean, the most fun thing to talk about, of course, would be the Greeks and their bizarre like passport bonanza. <laughs> yeah. It's like, He's like oh, ooh, yeah, it's like a whack a mole. Once you yeah. have an identity, they just like tear it up and start a new one. It's like, Nick, look what we could do. Yeah, who am I today, Nico? It is your. Uh, do I want to be uh, this Hungarian guy? Uh, you know, my name is uh, Janos Kovacs from fifteen twenty Olaf Avenue. <laughs> I looked that up, Willie. There's no, there's nothing in Budapest with that. I'm like, what the? Like, is this translated to English? I don't understand why Olaf Avenue in Hungary. Like, no wonder he ripped up the passport. <laughs> I'm assuming that he didn't want to be Hungarian and they realize their connect made an error if that's yeah. the passport he was ripping up. Well, was he just like pulling a fast one on Nick? Like he was <laughs> he's saying like, okay, like I'm going to, you know, reach an olive branch out to them and like have them help out. And like, if they scratch our back, we'll scratch theirs. But just in case I'm going to show him, a fake passport so if he tries to like finger me later on like i'll just hey, what the, what the passport is this you speak of nico yeah <laughs> it's my burner passport <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> that was just a burn like we just we we just toss them in the street but uh yeah that's uh, i don't have no, i have no idea what the hell that address is about <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. That's maybe something we could add to our uh, Ekeros wish list, if that's where they were, uh, as we absorb a dinner or diner mystery and, uh, you know, engage in entertainment, we could tear up our, our burner passports. <laughs> this baklava's too small. <laughs> hey, we didn't pay for it, though. Yeah. Did you pay for it? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh anyways, complimentary passports, they do get shredded. <laughs> but yeah, then he gets the uh the, the next the pass the next password. The Greek is like, huh? Do you want to be uh from I was like, where the hell this sounds familiar, but I don't know. Harvatska, Harvatska. Mm -hmm. And that's Croatia. So he went from Hungarian Spiros to Croatian Spiros in a just a it's like hours. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Skadeng, I think, or unless that's a term in Croatian, but that's his new identity. He's a medical assistant. <laughs> 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 like, I don't get it. It's is Spiros 
they're pretending he's the Greek's assistant, his medical. I am a Greek in poor health, and this is Kirkos Kading, my Croatian uh, attendant. If you don't, you will. Uh, if you don't approve, he has a sharp hooked knife, and he'll rip your throat. Uh, uh, anyways, that was fun. Just like wow, these guys are crazy, tearing up their passports, but. Uh, other than that, I mean, there's that motel, 221 North Avenue, which I have no idea what the hell Omar was talking about. So, because um, there, I mean, there's, it's weird because the only 221 really is that's viable could be on East North Avenue. Um, North Avenue being a really extensive avenue that tra- traverses the entire city. Um, and yeah there's no motel there but on the west side there isn't really a 221 i mean there was some random address like under a freeway interchange or like like a a a map pinpoint dropped up and i was like all right this is you've gone too far like just let it go uh but they're at like uh 110 west north avenue there's a motel six and it kind of looks like the i mean that's not saying much because I think all CD rundown motels kind of have that similar <laughs> courtyard, like, uh, you know, parking lot going on. It's just like, uh, just a ring of despair around, uh, <laughs> some under main, like, yeah, it's just not very well maintained at all. The parking lot and then rooms and stuff. So maybe, maybe that was it, but I don't know. I mean, wherever, wherever brother was, I'm sure he wasn't, the happiest camper with the setup he's probably like oh it's like i can imagine he's a little ocd for bed bugs and stuff like that but uh, yeah i mean he's a very fastidious dresser yeah so i don't know other than that i mean apparently the park that spiros and nick went to was in south baltimore but no idea where where i mean there's a whole goddamn lot of parks out there so i thought it was like i thought it was gonna be the park in locust point but it could be it could be latrobe park i don't know though either way spiros is really uh you know beside himself about their uh why you know their use of sticks when they could just kick the ball (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh another another uh a uh, sports joke from I mean remember in season one when Bubbles is like suck what? Yeah, suck about what? soccer. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, different cultures, but man, I miss Bubbles too. Yeah, Not really. We didn't we don't really get to a lot of them this season. Did I speak too soon on how good this season is, Willie? Or, I don't know. <laughs> no, this is a great season. All right, well, we, it's ten. It's it's pretty late. Was my bad. <laughs> this has been a wild ride. You want to wrap things up? <laughs> sure. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. We always love having you. Um, again, if you want to donate, head on over to anchor.fm slash the gods will not save you slash support. Check us out on the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're up on all of it. Oh, yeah. Check it out. Um be fun to engage or whatnot also if you prefer not to do it that way uh shoot us an email the gods will not save you at gmail.com so 
questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, you know, it's an evolving uh, project we got here. So, you know, it's trying to get better every time, I guess. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for all that. Uh, want to give a special shout out to Andre Tesnis who did our podcast emblem great graphic designer exactly good stuff thanks bud and also uh, great artist and producer uh, most art who hooked it up with some original uh, tunes for our intro outro and bumper music check them out at mostart.com great catalog more of his work. Mm-hmm.